Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 10.50 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 21st of August, 2020. This is episode 275 of Bitcoin, and I'm already done with online school. This is why I did not come to you yesterday with a show, because I was busy trying to figure out what kind of insanity these guys had, and boy, howdy. It's a three-ring shit show over here, bro. I got like two students in the same independent school district and they have two different uh, portals that they have to go to and then they have to coordinate work with one portal through another portal and oh, oh dude, I'm, ugh. Luckily, however, you don't need to feel my pain because we're going to get right into this thing right over here. It is me talking about, uh, let's see, what am I talking about? Oh yeah, I want to talk about lightning strike or LN underscore strike. What I like most about at LN underscore strike is how it acts as a conversion engine. I fill up with shitty fiat and it gets converted to actual money every time I send a lightning payment. Once that payment is made, it is less likely to be converted back. It's actually pretty brilliant. Yeah, I I tend to agree with myself that it is pretty brilliant. This is Jack Maller's company, Strike. And I've been having a whole lot of fun with Strike. And in fact, it's actually a little dangerous because I'm like spending a little bit more money than I normally like to spend because I'm actually, actually having fun. It's like, it's almost like Strike puts the fun back in shopping and that's not a good thing, but it is a conversion engine. What do I mean? When I go and connect my Strike account to my bank account and I tell my bank to drop $100 into my Strike, then I've got $100 of shitty fiat. Do I? No, not really. Uh, Jack automatically is going to convert all that money into Satoshis so that he can keep all of his lightning channels filled so that I can do stuff like send a dollar to Citadel 21 to test out their BTC pay server. And I did that, I think yesterday or the day before, uh, just to test out because I was, you know, wanting to get the magazine when it comes out. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, And it worked beautifully. So what's actually occurring here is that it looks to me or to the user like I'm converting dollars into Bitcoin. it's, It's literally like I'm draining the fiat system and putting all the value and all the time that that represents into something worthwhile. Honestly, though, that's not exactly what's happening because it like whenever I drop $100 into Strike, it's probably already liquidated into Satoshis. And then when I spend as a user and I'm looking at the interface, it just looks like I'm spending dollars. From a user experience standpoint, that is honestly, it's actually great. Okay. I know I, I should probably be saying that that's terrible. We should all be thinking in Satoshi's, but that's, that's not going to happen for a while. Okay. So we just, just get over it. Okay. Because Jack has made something really, really cool. It makes users be able to like, just look at money and then they hold their phone up to something that has a QR code. That's a lightning invoice that they want to buy and they hit, they hit buy and it processes and it gives you a little confirm button. And if you hit confirm, then you buy that thing. And almost instantly, the invoice on the other side of the screen, where whatever it is you're buying, it within seconds is like, your invoice is paid. It's brilliant. And if you're not using Strike, please, please go give it a shot. If you don't ever use, you know, if you never want to use again after the first couple of minutes or whatever, fine, but do yourself a favor and give it a shot, honestly, because when you're doing this, you're going to earn cash back. What do I mean by that? Well, it just so happens that three hours, three hours 
after I uh, made that very first send over to Citadel 21 as a do uh, the $1 donation just to, you know, to test it out because I wanted to buy their magazine, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, I could have earned cash back on that if I had waited three and a half hours because Jack announces this after I do my spend. Announcing cash back by strike. Today, I am thrilled to release cash back by strike. On January the 20th, 2020, I published announcing strike by Zap along with our private beta. Since then, we have announced our partnership with Visa released strike.me, launched our beta publicly in the United States, launched, an app, launched it on App Store, Play Store, Chrome Store, and onboarded thousands of users. However, as I've stated before, we are just getting started and have much more to come. Today, we are releasing Cashback by Strike. Our first strike rewards program, Cashback, is about as conceptually simple as it gets. You simply scan, confirm, and earn cash that is instantly available in your strike account. And then he goes through the motivation and the history and how his parents own a cannabis store and where all the, why this happened. We don't need to worry about that, but we do need to worry about how it works. It doesn't get simpler than cashback by strike. As a user, you simply have to, one, scan a QR code, two, confirm the payment, B, earn your cash back. Is there a D or a three over here? Oh, nope, no, there's not. In an effort to control the rollout of cashback, we've decided to launch with four merchants to start and we'll scale up to several dozen over the coming weeks. To start, we have uh, Bitcoin dot, oh, sorry, BitcoinShirt.co, a Bitcoin only apparel store. Strike users get 5% cash back. BitRefill offering gift cards for over a thousand businesses and you get 5% cash back. Crypto Cloaks, oh, that's right. Hold on, I'll get into that in a sec. Crypto Cloaks, a Bitcoin-only online shop. Strike users get 5% cash back. And Light Knight, a lightning network-powered video game that allows you to spend and earn Bitcoin inside of the game. And Strike users get 15% cash back. It wasn't Citadel 21 that, that, I, was, uh, that I sent that uh, to before Jack announced this. It was Crypto Cloaks. I bought a sticker pack for like four bucks yesterday. And then it was three hours after that that Jack Mallers announced cash back. So sorry, Citadel 21 didn't mean to, uh, we'll, we'll do your story here in a sec. Okay. Cause it's going to be, that's going to be kind of a big thing anyway here. And he's, he gives a video, but the video description is I buy $50 Uber gift card from bit refill and get 5% cash back. Easy as one, two, three over the coming weeks, we will continue to launch with more merchants. You can find, all of the strike cashback merchants on our website. Furthermore, are you a business that wants to offer cashback to co consumers? As a consumer, is there a business you'd like to receive cashback with strike from? Any merchant that would like to be part of our cashback program can do just that. Send us a note at cashback at strike.me. That's cashback at strike.me, M-E, and we will get you integrated and launched disruption. He actually writes the word disruption. There's a little bit more, but uh, you get the gist. I, so <clears throat> in the next story, I got a dollar and one cent or roughly around, I think it's like 8,400 Satoshis. God only knows what the price is right now, but I got that back for buying a magazine and we'll get to that in a second. But <clears throat> hot off the heels of Jack announcing that I'm going to be able to that that I'm going to be able to get cash back when I use the Strike app, uh, and which is paying everything over Lightning Network. And the first thing you're going to say is like, "Oh God, David, but Lightning doesn't work." I, a, I haven't had one failure yet. Then your problem is going to be, "But Dave, you can't send a you can't send a lot of money through the cash through the Lightning Network, right?" Wrong. Lightning Labs, oh, was it yesterday at 12.20 p.m. Central Daylight Time says this. Let's get ready to Wumbo. Today we're releasing 0.11-beta with lifted channel limits. With Wumbo, users can send larger Bitcoin transactions on Lightning, opening up new use cases and improving capital efficiency. Oh, I love it. It's so efficient. Upgrade today and set it to Wumbo. 
Wumbo ushers in a new era of lightning, making it easier to build businesses and experiment with new possibilities. Users and node operators can now send and receive larger Bitcoin transactions, deploy capital in greater amounts, reduce on-chain fees, and time spent managing channels. Today, more than 70 companies are building on LND. Not only can you feed chickens on at Polo Feed, Poyo Feed, or Polo Feed, you can renovate your home and get sats back with the Fold app and BitRefill, play games with Zebedeo, trade on LN markets, pay with LN Strike, invest, invest on River Financial, and more. Thanks to the Lightning Labs team and to all the testers and contributors who've dedicated countless hours to this release, we're grateful for the open source community that helped make this happen. Throughout the last several years, this wouldn't be possible without you. So what does this mean? It means I'm going to be able to buy a hell of a lot larger and more expensive items than a freaking magazine. And it's going to happen real quick. Okay. Once people get all their stuff upgraded to 0.11-beta, it's on. It's talking like $100, $200 payments. Okay. I did a $21 payment over Lightning today, and it is not using Wumbo Channel, so I already got that, right? Now we got Wumbo Channels hot off the heels, literally within hours of each other. Both Jack Mallers is announcing cash back on Strike, which is the easiest damn thing to use in the world, and Lightning Labs coming out and saying, oh, by the way, we're going to have very much larger channels. So get ready and woohoo, Godspeed, Citadel 21. My order was received. My order number is 168. It was dated August 21st, 2020. My total, $21. What did I buy? I bought a freaking magazine. That's what I bought. Citadel 21 today opened their store uh, for the first ever time that they have are opening orders and have their store button live so that you can order a physical copy of the Volume 1 Citadel 21 magazine. That's right, they've printed it in real time on real paper, hopefully with real nice paper that's kind of glossy and has a nice sheen to it and the whole ball of wax, right? It's coming. I paid $21 for it, and guess what I got back? Because I used Strike, I got a dollar back, or 8,400 Satoshis or something like that. So it really only cost me about 20 bucks. I'm... Very happy, but here's the rest of the story. Within seconds, I mean, the the I knew exactly, and, and I it's not like I was it was secret. They told us it was going to be you know at like two I think it was like two p.m. Uh, Central European time or Cest or something like that. So I want I wanted to be in there, and I have no idea what time that is. So I used a time converter and found out that it was seven a.m. Central Daylight Time. I had an alarm set for 7 a.m. Central Daylight Time, so I'd be damn sure to get in. And I was exactly there. I was bright-eyed. I was bushy-tailed. I was ready to push buttons and scan QR codes. I had everything worked out. And what's the first thing that happened? The first 10 seconds, their server melted. This is a good thing. Honestly, this is a really good thing. There is so much interest in buying this first volume of their physical magazine from Citadel 21 that everybody had their fingers on the trigger and we all pulled the trigger at the same time and, well, it melted their server. Within two or three, I think it was within 10 minutes, maybe 15, they came out with an announcement on their Twitter account that said, we're back up and running with four times the amount of, of servers to uh, service all this. And within an hour, they had already sold 400 of their magazines. I have, there's only going to be a thousand of them and that's it. It is a limited, it is as limited as Bitcoin. Okay. So there's a thousand, maybe they should have done, maybe they should have done 1200. Uh, it doesn't matter. Something to do with 21. Anyway, the, the point is if they still have magazines out and as of 30 minutes ago, uh, they still did have some magazines, go order it. but by the time that you hear this, it may be too late, but that's shop.citadel21.com, is it? Let me make sure. It sure is. It's shop.citadel21, that's the numbers 21.com, and uh, go, go through, uh, and use the Strike app, be, Strike app because they're using BTC Pay Server to power their shop. Easy. I just, I'll just, have them generate the invoice and hold strike app 
you know, to where it can take a picture of the QR code that it gives you. And in five seconds, it's going to have confirmed your payment. It's so fast. I am like, really, I'm so very excited about all this. I mean, strike and Wumbo channels and Citadel 21 and BTC pay server. It's like, I'm class of 2015. I've never seen anything this slick before. Amazing. Morning Roundup is the section of the show where we get into the news. It's the snooze that you can use, and it's William Suberg writing it for Cointelegraph by Bitcoin before major banking crisis, says Rich Dad, Poor Dad author. Okay, all right. When was this one? Yeah, it was about this morning is when it was written. Uh, Bitcoin is an essential investment. As the world is about to face a major banking crisis, popular author Robert Kiyosaki has warned in a tweet on August the 21st, which would be today, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad told followers that there was no time to think about investing in safe havens. The reason, he said, was that Warren Buffett had chosen to dump bank stocks. Quote, why Buffett is out of banks? Banks bankrupt. Major banking crisis coming fast, he wrote. Quote, Fed and Treasury to take over the banking system? Fed and Treasury helicopter fake money direct to people to avoid mass rioting? Not a time to think about it. How much gold, silver, Bitcoin do you have? End quote. Kiyosaki is a well-known supporter of Bitcoin, frequently advising the public to buy and actively concern themselves with the downward trajectory of fiat currency, which is now being shorted. And I think I've got a story on that one. The coronavirus crisis has only exacerbated his calls to exit dependency on fiat in line with various Bitcoin proponents who fear the coronavirus responses by government have all but doomed already inflated paper money. In the intervening period since March, when macro assets crashed en masse, both Bitcoin and precious metals have seen huge gains, fueled by the U.S. dollar currency index hitting its lowest in two years. August is seeing fresh worries over the state of the world economy. In the United States, the Federal Reserve balance sheet, having previously dipped below $7 trillion, is now back above that level, a sign of the central bank's continued intervention in traditional markets. Quote, Fed balance sheet back to or above $7 trillion, giving investors the green light to further stock market gains and S&P 500 P&E trades in tandem with Fed balance sheet market commentator Holger Zbigniewicz, sorry, summarized. The S&P 500 hit record highs this week, despite the uncertainty associated with coronavirus and its uh, financial impact on the average American. Meanwhile, institutions remain increasingly focused on Bitcoin as an opportunity. Following MicroStrategy's $250 million buy-in in late July, Bitcoin futures' open interest hit an all-time high of $5 billion this week. So there you go. Telling you, man. Even a good buddy of mine who hates Bitcoin loves Robert Kiyosaki. He keeps saying, have you read the book? And I'm like, yeah, I told you I read the damn book. I've read a couple of his books. I've certainly read Poor Dad, Rich Dad. And he's like, well, did you read it again? And I'm like, no, once I, once I read a nonfiction book, I kind of don't need to read it again. But I actually did. I read it again. And he's like, well, did you read it a third time? And I'm like, what the hell, man? I mean, how many times do you want me to read this cat's book? He hates Bitcoin. But his, one of his favorite authors loves Bitcoin. So it's happening, folks. It's going to happen. Now, this one is from Special Request from a few people out there, man. Um, I'm going to read this one from Daniel Kuhn. It is the Bitcoiners who live permanently not there. Now, I was going to read it to you yesterday, but as I've already described, that was a Three, three ring shit show going on. So there's, there was just no way to get a show out. So I'm doing it today. This is from Coindesk. Katie and Anina is building her citadel and selling others on the dream. For the past year, the Russian immigre has jumped among the U.S. cities of Miami, Houston, San Francisco, and Denver, plus Puerto Rico, random islands in the Caribbean and Guadalajara, Mexico, trying to find the right location to establish a base camp it's part of her lifestyle as well as her job. 
Anna Nina is the founder of Plan B Passport, a business that works primarily with Bitcoiners to obtain legal residency status of their choice of the six tax haven nations. It's an offshoot of Migronis Citizenship, a resettlement business, which itself has five offices globally. Quote, you go to the butcher that has the best meat and farmer for the best fruits and vegetables. So do you shop for the lifestyle that you want? Anna Nina said, dialing in from Guadalajara in April, where she was awaiting an anarcho-capitalist meetup. Quote, if it suits you better to own a passport from a tax haven, why wouldn't you do that, right? End quote. While tax avoidance has been around since the first tax was levied, the crypto-rich, empowered by a technology that pays no heed to borders and driven by an ideology critical of all centralized authorities, are bringing it to the next level. Like its larger parent company, Plan B offers information on how to legally optimize one's tax strategies by moving lives, possessions, or assets to the, quote, best jurisdictions, according to its website. Ananina also hosts free 20-minute consultations and the occasional web seminar. Recently, she's been looking for ways to break into the private island real estate market, thinking the nouveau riche of the coming bull run will be able to afford such luxuries, and she's probably not wrong. This open attack, or sorry, this open approach to tax avoidance is perfectly legal. And given that multinationals often shuffle money around to avoid paying billions in taxes, you could argue it's normal these days. Quote, a lot of people are doing it, like more than you'd think, <laughs> Anna Nina said. Ronan Palin, an Israeli-born economist and professor of international political economy in the Department of International Politics at the City University London, who studies tax havens and offshore finance, agreed it's becoming more popular among the ultra-wealthy, but said it's difficult to determine exactly how many individuals are issuing their tax burdens by moving abroad. People don't usually identify themselves as tax evaders, he said. Perish the thought, oh my God. Quote, the actual number of people that physically relocate is a small portion of those that avoided paying taxes, Palin said over Zoom, but it's common enough for there to be an established term. Quote, we call these individuals PNTs, permanently not there. <laughs> Wealthy individuals, you find they have three houses, three domiciles to ensure that they are never in one country sufficiently long to become a tax resident. There's also a growing number of people willing to drop even the pretense of a residence. Like McAfee, who live, permanently lives on a boat, I think. At the individual and family level, Many of today's expatriates and tax arbitrageurs follow the obscure advice of the libertarian financial advisor Harry D. Schultz. He coined the term three-flag theory to describe a strategic approach to life and citizenship where people plant flags in different countries based on their favorable tax, regulatory, and economic frameworks. Pause. We call that regulatory arbitrage. Unpause. Proponents get as many passports as necessary or obtain legal permanent resident status in tax haven nations, offering them the chance to shuffle capital and business documentation around. They become citizens of the world or perpetual travelers to maximize their profits and minimize the obligations to the state. Screw the state. You have one foot in New York and one in the Cayman Islands and have responsibilities to no one but yourself, Palin said. While the roots of this lifestyle may be found in libertarianism, Bill Maher director of UC Irvine's Institute for Money, called it late capitalist nomadicism. No, nomadism. Nomads. Anyway, it's an ism about nomads. Screw it. Palin said it's less complicated. Quote, many people enjoy the benefits of states, but they don't like paying taxes. End quote. Others have taken Schultz theory and run with it. Frank Ahern, author of New York Times bestseller, How to Disappear, Translated into six flag theory, today it's common to see at least one flag representing an electronic haven in cyberspace referring to a country with lenient regulations for maintaining private or corporate servers. Quote, considering that the theory was first circulated over 30 years ago, you would think that by now most governments would have caught up with it and closed all the loopholes that enable it. They have not. While Western nations continue to fail to close or continue to fail to close the gaps, poor countries, primarily in the global south, but also wealthy nations like Monaco, are attracting high net worth individuals and simplified immigration policies and lenient definitions of residency. The ideal haven nation will enable visa-free travel with a number of countries and have limitations 
on taxing income earned outside their borders. Many have lower non-existent tax, non-existent tax policies on wealth and capital gains. Quote, countries are literally competing for your wealth, <laughs> Anna Nina said. It's why she's excited to do the work that her career enables. Quote, I've been looking at my past and feel like my whole life has been preparing me for Bitcoin. Sing it, sister. Shit. Anarchy and flag theory, she said. If I can't be absolutely stateless, I will hold some papers that will help me lead the life that I want to live. I will get as many papers as I can, and it's going to give me more freedom, she said. And Anina is not alone in her pro-Bitcoin, anti-state, and very online convictions. Uh, one of the Bitcoin network's earliest advocates, Roger Ver, is also a follower of flag theory and an example of living to maximize one's personal autonomy, understood by having a zero debts to the state and shaking down your customers at Bitcoin.com. But we won't go there. Quote, go where you're treated best, Ver said during a recent phone call. Ver has been a Kittisian, a citizen of St. Kitts and Nevis since 2014 after leaving the United States for good in 2006. Quote, from the moment they tossed me in prison, I knew I was never going to live in the United States again. The day I was allowed to leave, I left. It took a further eight years to renounce my citizenship. Damn, bro. Talk about hooks. He said many of his cryptocurrency friends are citizens of the small Caribbean island nation, population 52,500, though he's clear, he, though he's clear citizen doesn't necessarily mean his neighbors have ever stepped foot on the island. Quote, about two years ago, there were about a hundred of us that met up. We spent the afternoon pounding on our laptops in tropical paradise. Ver said he gets queried on how to move abroad at least once a week. His advice? deal with reputable agents that know the people and the processes. Speaking from the experience of being scammed twice for substantial sums of money, he said unscrupulous people will try to trick you. You want feet on the ground. A veritable cottage industry of businesses like Ananina's Plan B has sprung up to prevent situations like VERS. These businesses work with government citizenship by investment units so people can pay a fee, fill out a few forms, and claim their benefits. While the process varies by nation, in most cases, a citizenship can be bought for six figures. It's not cheap, says Ver. While Plan B Passport is likely the first to cater exclusively to the crypto rich, many companies view it as a profitable new sector within the, quote, immigration industry. Oh, God, and I thought medical tourism was weird. Whatever. My Gronus has helped resettle approximately 500 people since August of 200 or 2012. Martin Cavalco, head of marketing for the firm, said over email, of those clients, about 10% came from the crypto community before Plan B was spun out, he estimated. Far Horizon also boasts early crypto investors, exchanges, and initial coin offering operators among their clientele, Gross said. While he declined to name names, he did confirm many have accumulated substantial amounts of cryptocurrencies. Because you scammed your people, people. It's not difficult to imagine a perpetual traveler holding non-state-backed currencies or someone into crypto thinking favorably of flag theory. Quote, one could say that the flag theory concept in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies were both originally based out of libertarian principles such as freedom, autonomy, and a disinclination to accept authority and centralized power, Gross said. The concepts amplify one another, distributive tools like the internet, have led to an interest in the philosophy, Gross said, adding the number of flag theorists stands at a record high and crypto has only made it easier to escape the boundaries of the state. Moving hundreds of thousands of dollars through a banking system is bound to raise an eye, according to Ronan Palin. Quote, there are various rules, particularly anti-money laundering rules that have been in introduced, which require compliance. Essentially, banks have to know who owns the account and the source of money. You know, they ask, questions but the bitcoins with the bitcoins but with bitcoins radical ownership people can move their wealth instantly without checking in with compliance officers ananina said you don't have to worry about selling your assets in the u.s or figuring out how to move them through the banking system to an offshore account you just pick up calculator move to another country and you have your wealth with you. I do believe she's referring to the cold card. Good job, Rodolfo Novak. While jet setting may appeal to some, there's a certain type of Bitcoiner who prefers to stay close at home, building out local systems independent of and adversarial to the state. 
Justine, who goes by Ms. Hodel on Twitter, is doing that in the Sierra Nevadas, the mountain range straddling the border between California and Nevada. She's refurbishing an old farmstead owned by her family with help from her stepfather and mother and the occasional electrician or plumber. Quote, I was dreaming of a citadel before I heard the word, Justine said. Citadel is used in the Bitcoin community to refer to an idyllic version of tomorrow where individuals can come together voluntarily to work and live off the land. Okay, well, that's one idea, okay? Citadel can mean whatever the hell you want it to mean. But generally speaking, it means that we all kind of just want to get the fuck out, right? The idea is to build systems that can exist with minimal contact with government and corporations. When discussing the practicality of building a citadel or an unimproved private island, uh, Katie Ananina said, we're anarchists. We don't care about running water. Oh, bullshit. Yes, we do. I'm sorry, dude. You're going to want running water, okay? But guess what? You don't need a government to make running water happen. Okay, that's what we're getting at. Okay, that's the citadel. I want running water, but I don't want to have to depend on the government to get it. And guess what? I don't need to because there's a shit ton of people that are also Bitcoiners that do everything from dig holes in the ground to run, you know what, run pipes. So I'm just going to continue. Sorry. Citadels are both the antithesis and corollary of the concept of the digital nomad that the larger tech sector has embraced. Bitcoiners build citadels to shield their vast troves of wealth from government overreach and the hordes of no-coiners. <laughs> Some fucking zombies. But they are also purposefully situated somewhere in specific, somewhere worth defending. While Justine agrees with people who flee the state to avoid their taxes, she said financial autonomy is just one aspect of self-sovereignty. To become truly independent, sometimes it means setting down and building. Quote, Ultimate freedom comes with a lot of responsibility and taking ownership, she said. The owner of a small business in the United States, Justine, says she dutifully pays her taxes. I work as hard as humanly possible to pay as little as possible and find every loophole. We live in an abusive relationship with the government and taxes are one part of it. But you can't avoid it when you have something to lose, In quote. And Miss Hodel, Justine, you are indeed correct. However, I do want you, if you're listening to this, and I hope you are, I want you to think about this. How much time do you spend finding those loopholes? How much time do you spend paying your taxes? How much time do we all waste of our very limited lifespan in bowing to the state and bowing and supplicating ourselves and saying, if it pleases the crowd, may I please walk across the fucking street? Aren't you tired of it? Aren't you tired of it? We've got the weapon that pulls teeth. It's time for us to use it. I'm sorry, but I'm just done watching money that they've stolen from me in my name, my wife's name, my daughter's name, and my fucking son's name to blow up a whole bunch of people in a goddamn country whose name I can't even pronounce. And I'm supposed to be patriotic about it? Fuck you. Fuck all of you. If you're a government official at this point and you're listening to this and you're cringing because I'm telling you to go sit on it and spin, too bad. Because guess what? You think it's bad. Just look at the news. Look at cancel culture. Look at all the people that are running around just freaking the hell out about the littlest things and making mountains out of molehills. Wait till every single one of them focus their attention on you. Because that day's coming. And I would not want to be a government official in any way, shape, or form when that day comes because I hear getting gutted by a pitchfork doesn't feel very well. (sighs) Farmer demands 1.4 million British pounds sterling of Bitcoin in Tesco blackmail plot. Oh, boy. We're going to do this one, and then we're going to put it to bed and do some numbers. But Nigel Wright, Lincolnshire tried to extort 1.4 million pounds of Bitcoin after adding metal shards to baby food. Farmer Nigel, Farmer Nigel Wright has been convicted of three counts of blackmail and two charges of contaminating goods after he was found guilty of adding metal shards to baby food, according to the BBC. This ends a two-year-long investigation, the largest blackmail investigation in UK history. Okay, 
of all the blackmail that's ever been done in the United Kingdom, something about Bitcoin and this idiot putting metal shards in it is actually the largest. Quote, today's conviction is the result of decisive and collaborative actions, which we took alongside law enforcement agencies, said a Tesco spokesperson. It started when Wright placed jars, jars of contaminated baby food on the shelves in Tesco, as seen by CCTV footage of closed circuit television. Mothers who bought the food saw the shards only moments before they were about to feed it to their babies. Quote, quote, it was horrendous. I felt sick. I was so shocked, said one mother. Morvin Smith. Between May of 2018 and February of 2020, Tesco received anonymous letters demanding payment in Bitcoin. One particular letter read, imagine a baby's mouth cut open and blood pouring out or the insides of their bellies cut and bleeding. You pay, you save them. End quote. Good God, what a freak. When Wright was arrested on February the 25th, 2020, authorities recovered approximately 100,000 pounds in Bitcoin all of which had been sent by undercover police during the manhunt. Mr. Justice Warby, who heard the case, recommends a psychiatric report for Wright, who has or appears to be mentally disordered, the judge said. Wright was also convicted of blackmailing a driver for 150,000 pounds of Bitcoin over a road rage altercation. So, is it Bitcoin's fault? No! I mean, as loopy as this idiot is, at least he knows what real money looks like. I mean, shit, he gets it. Why can't the rest of everybody else? Let's run some numbers. Oh, thank God we're saved again. Major indices are all up by... Almost a third of a point in some cases. Ooh, whatever, dude. The highest ranking, the the highest point mover to the upside today is the Hang Sang, and it's up one and a third percent to the upside. That is a 322 point gain on that. Bond prices, eh, who gives a shit? Because it's still going to cost you a full half a percent to invest your money into the German 10-year bund. Who the hell does that? Unless you're, I guess if you're at the point of a gun, and maybe these people are, and that's why they're doing it, but oil to the downside by three points. West Texas Intermediate is going to cost you $41.5 on the barrel. Natural gas continuing its gain. It is at 1.5% to the upside. Its close is $2.40. Well, $2.38 for 1,000 cubic feet of the Bernie stuff. Real money, however, uh, we're, we're on the roller coaster at this point. We've, we've suffered the BART. Now we're into the, po- the post-BART part. And this is where people go, call you and say, how about that Bitcoin? I thought you said it was good. And then you, you just got to laugh it off because guess what? If you were class of 2015, you know how much it cost back then now? It's $11,736. whoop dee doo We got a high over at bid asset $11,743. And it does appear that the low is $11,731 at CIMEX. 320,000 transactions performed over the last 24 hours means that about 13,300 transactions were done per hour. That's about, well, in in those transactions, we've had 1.6 million BTC sent in that last 24 hours. And uh, 67,000 BTC is being sent on average per hour. Average transaction value is 5 BTC. That's about 60 grand, by the way. Median transaction value is 0.045, which is about 525 bucks. Blocks times are now back down to the low side. Nine minutes and 10 seconds, we have 0.8 BTC being taken in fees on a per block and 123.9 BTC being taken in fees in the last 24 hours. Now we have, we're almost up to all time highs on hash rate. We're at 128 and a half exahashes per second. And that is following a 6.39% jack to the upside. Ethereum at 405, Bcash 291.92, Litecoin at $61, BSV who gives a shit, Ethereum Classic is at 6 bucks and 80 cents, 
and Dogecoin took it on the chin again, 0.0034, but yet with almost 58,000 transactions over the last 24 hours, it's uh, kind of gutting Ethereum Classic, certainly gut. I'm, oh my God, Ethereum Classic has more transactions in the last 24 hours than Bcash. Oh, that, well, I might have to get a story on, on what Roger Ver said the other day, but we'll do that later. Anyway, so Dogecoin is, is killing some of the toppers. Clark Moody Bitcoin price, uh, he's showing 11730 There are 18,466,996.08 BTC in circulation. How do we know this? Because I can ask my node to query the network and get an inter full interrogation. And I know what the money supply is. Can't say that with ETH. However, there are 23,900 transactions waiting to clear, and that's going to take about 28 blocks for it to clear up. Now, we have, oh, wow, holy smokes. We have 1,026 BTC in the Lightning Network. Jack, this is all your fault, and I'm talking about Mallers. That's $12 million of capacity. And that is going to be over 7,426 nodes representing 37,113 channels. Jeez, Jack. Uh, Tor capacity, we have 486.6 BTC on that side of the Lightning Network. And that is 47.4% of the entire Lightning Network is Tor. That is 2,255 nodes. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Citadel 21 is almost completely out of magazines. Uh, this was, oh, let's see. It is 1134 Central Daylight Time as I speak. You'll probably get this two hours later. Uh, so they'll probably all be gone. However, they are reserving uh, 66 of the Volume 1 magazines for people that buy a six-month subscription. They are setting aside 57 uh, magazines if you buy the 12-month subscription. Past that, there are only 243 single purchase magazines left. Good job. They had 1,000 to begin with at 7 a.m. this morning, and they're going to sell out by the end of the day. Probably not. The, they probably won't sell out the uh, subscriptions, but they're going to have sold out the bulk of their 1,000-issue run by the end of the day. I cannot tell you how happy it makes me be to watch somebody succeed like this. They didn't just succeed. They fucking crushed it. They crushed the shit out of it. I am so happy for these guys, Hodel and and Katya and all the guys over there. Good job. Absolutely brilliant freaking work. Now, getting on to people who haven't done very brilliant work, hedge funds are shorting the U.S. dollar for the first time in two years. <laughs> Joseph Young writing it on the 19th for btctimes.com. According to data from the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, hedge funds are net short the U.S. dollar for the first time in two years. The decline in demand for the dollar could benefit Bitcoin in the long term as it is increasingly perceived as a store of value. Well, duh. Citing the CFTC's data, Bloomberg reported that net future positions of funds on the dollar declined to negative 7,881 contracts. Hedge funds have not been this bearish on the U.S. dollar since May of 2018. Several macro factors are seemingly causing the U.S. dollar to slump. First, the national debt of the United States continues to rise. Additionally, the global economy is recovering while the U.S. has struggled to reopen its own economy. Lastly, investors fear inflation could weaken the dollar. Bel Air Investment Advisors Managing Director Eric Bright told Business Insider in an interview, quote, Longer term, we see dollar weakness as U.S. debt grows and the global recovery gains momentum. Near term, dollar may strengthen with uncertainty during the flu season, end quote. Some strategists like BK Asset Management's Boris Schlong, ooh, ooh, sorry, Schlossberg, said the absence of a stimulus deal and the controversy around the election are placing additional selling pressure on the dollar, quote, the state of political disarray is clearly weighing on the buck as the failure to produce more fiscal stimulus 
and the clearly partisan skirmishing over mail-in voting that threatens to undermine the credibility of the elections are all taking their toll on the dollar. Oh my God. For alternative stores of value like gold and Bitcoin, the fading dollar could catalyze an extended uptrend. The sentiment around gold has improved significantly since prominent investors like Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett built a position around the precious metal over the longer term as more institutions begin to consider Bitcoin as established store of value. The declining dollar could positively impact Bitcoin. In recent weeks, Bitcoin's price trend has followed gold more closely than the U.S. stock market. For instance, in the last 48 hours, both Bitcoin and gold sold off in tandem while the U.S. stock market climbed upwards. Cryptocurrency trader Edward Mora commented on the development, quote, Bitcoin seems to follow gold. Both are selling off today while SPX makes new all-time highs. Interesting dynamics, end quote. The correlation between gold and Bitcoin, as well as the growing inflow of institutional capital into Bitcoin, as the BTC Times reported previously, show that Bitcoin continues to gain global recognition as a store of value. There you go. Thank you, Joseph. I appreciate that one. And I also appreciate BTC Times for actually doing what they said they were going to do. It's pretty decent reporting so far. Uh, I do have a comment on uh, Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Fluffett uh, buying uh, work in a position in gold. He's not. When they say around gold, what they mean is his position is built on gold mining stocks. It's like the old man can just not figure it out. He can't go to the asset itself. He's going to go to the miners. But honestly, that's Warren Buffett. He doesn't want to hold the pet rock. That's not Warren's style. Warren wants to make money off the guys that are making money off of mining the pet rock. That's why he did the mining instead of actually buying gold, much to the chagrin of Peter Schiff, I would imagine. But guess who is up in the news? It's John McAfee, and he ghosts his own privacy-first cryptocurrency project. Oh, really? Robert Stevens writing it for Decrypt.co. John McAfee, the wacky drug-infused cybersecurity mogul, has dropped out of the Ghost Privacy Coin project, which would have powered his privacy-first crypto ecosystem, Ghost. Quote, I am abandoning the Ghost project. Management is incapable of making a success of this project. It will, without a doubt, fail, he tweeted yesterday. Ghost is, was to be an unstoppable, privacy-first, and decentralized network promising its users to make them ghost when making transactions. <laughs> Should have named it Casper. Just a week earlier, McAfee, who is currently on the run from U.S. tax authorities, had pumped up Ghost, the proof-of-stake privacy coin that powers the network. The world is full of FUD. Believe none of it. Ghost is the future, he tweeted. Sometimes it hurts, but no longer. I tried to explain the fundamental principles of man to management but they fell on deaf ears. My apologies to those that I led astray. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you believed my words that fell out of my mouth like so much garbage and that you actually took your money, which represents the time, and gave it to these people or me and it failed and you'll never get that time of your life back. That's worth more than a sorry, John. Since McAfee pronounced the coin dead, Ghost has collapsed in value, of course. The coin's price fell by over 50% from $0.70 cents to $0.27 cents after McAfee's tweets. Development on the coin is still ongoing and its ambitions are unchanged, according to a statement by the Ghost development team yesterday. The team, who could not immediately be reached for comment, pointed out that Ghost is a decentralized open source project. Ghost is much bigger than one person, even if you were John fucking McAfee, they said in the statement. <laughs> the team said that McAfee was in no way involved in any day-to-day -day operations, nor has he ever been involved with any of the tech of, or building of Ghost. They did not explain why he left the project, but called him a loose cannon. McAfee responded, if I'm a loose cannon because I dropped my support for a failing project, so be it. I will not support bullshit. The team behind Ghost said they will continue to work on the project and drop the by John McAfee tagline a day later. This has yet to happen, apparently. McAfee said that he will replace the Ghost privacy coin with another one and that he plans to push his Ghost phone service live on September the 30th. It promises to let people use phone services with utmost privacy. 
Prior to tweeting about Ghost, McAfee posted a video in which he explains that the path to success required getting over shit immediately. After tweeting about Ghost, McAfee posted a video of a woman. Oh, God. I'm not going to say the words. He has clearly moved on. Um, McAfee posted a video of a woman doing something to herself out of a moving car. You, you, fill, in the, you fill in the blank there, okay? But that's John McAfee. I mean, it, it, that doesn't, it's disgusting, but it doesn't surprise me because it's John fucking McAfee. The man is insane. I'm telling you, man. I mean, he's just insane. Bitcoin reserves on exchanges fall to a 14-month low. Thankfully, they ain't holding ghost. According to the on-chain market analysis firm Glassnode, Bitcoin reserves on exchanges in August fell to a level unseen since June 2019. This indicates that retail investors are not intending to sell their Bitcoin. (laughs) And neither should you. This is Joseph Young again, writing again for the BTC Times sometime yesterday, apparently. When retail investors move to sell their Bitcoin holdings, they typically send their funds to an exchange, which leads to an increase in Bitcoin reserves held by exchanges. A decline in exchange reserves indicate that there is less appetite to sell Bitcoin at the current price point, at least among individual investors. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, there's more to it, but honestly, you know, we're getting long. We're getting into 50 minutes right now, so there's no reason to read the rest of it. Dudes, I'm telling you, man, it's, you know, get your shit off of exchanges. Never let anybody hold your keys. Always hold your own private keys because without your keys, it ain't your coin. But moreover, I, I think, you know, we need to get into this. We need to stop all this silly altcoin ICO and God forbid the DeFi stuff before people get really hurt. Or, well, no, people have already been really hurt. I mean, really, really, really hurt. The hurt has to stop. Get your crap off the exchanges. Stop selling your Bitcoin the only thing that needs to be on exchanges right now is anything that's not Bitcoin and you need to sell it somehow to, for either cash or if some poor dumb shit has their stuff on Bitcoin and they're willing to, to buy your Litecoin for it. You know what? I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I may just go ahead and pull the plug, get all my shit onto Kraken and sell it all for Bitcoin, even though I'm not going to get that much um, just to, to get rid of it because I'm, I'm, I'm tired of even having to say, tell people that I'm just too lazy to get, you know, my 0.5 Ethereum classic off of my, you know, ledger or whatever. I, you know, it, it needs to be done. We need to get, we need to be done with this crap. Tether could be enabling capital flight from China, says Chainalysis. Marie Juliet writing for Cointelegraph uh, this morning. <clears throat> Let's see what she has to say about cryptocurrencies. Uh, Tether, in particular, could be playing a key role in recent capital flight from China, according to a new report. The report states that over 44% of crypto transactions in East Asia are conducted with counterparties within the region, making it the closest we have to a self-sustaining market in the industry. However, over the past 12 months, East Asia's relative share of global crypto activity has begun to, to decline, with over $50 billion worth of cryptocurrency leaving China. Grayscale Director of Research Philip Bonello says, quote, it appears that users in many regions use stable coins to access U.S. dollars for cross-border payroll remittances and capital flight from local currencies, end quote. Since Beijing's 2017 ban on direct conversions of yuan for U- cryptocurrency, the U.S. dollar pegged stablecoin Tether has served as a popular stand-in for fiat for traders in the Chinese market relative to other regions, East Asia has the lowest share of on-chain volume devoted to Bitcoin at 51% of transfers by volume. The rest consists of stable coins, 93% which, of which is USDT. While you, <coughs> Wan USDT trades are, strictly speaking, prohibited, OTC brokers continue to sell the stable coin to enable traders to lock in their gains, bro, from crypto trades without worrying about price volatility. In June of this year, Tether outflanked Bitcoin to become the most received digital asset by East Asian addresses. In the East Asian market, over $18 billion worth of Tether was moved to address uh, to addresses based in foreign jurisdictions over the past year. How much of this reflects capital flight remains difficult to conclusively establish. 
I'm going to go ahead and end it there because I don't want the show to run too long. But basically, Chinese people are 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 getting their shit out. They're, I mean, whether they're residents, most likely these are more industrial types. But I guarantee you, people are flying out of out of China, and if they can't physically extricate themselves from that dystopic shithole that is China. They are certainly going to get their time that they've invested in their life out. If they can't go themselves, they can at least get the they they can get their their stored time out of that stupid ass country. Because China, man, this shit, uh, 2020 isn't even over yet, people. We got four more months. We do. Is September, October, November, December? Yeah, we have four full months beginning on September 1 of this shit show, which for me began on January the 7th with the death of Neil Peart, drummer for Rush. That's how I began my year seven days into it. And it has been a mess since. Is there anything else that I want to say? Value transfer. Oh, I will say this. Value transfer on Ethereum reaches parity with Bitcoin. $1.6 billion moving on chain per day. Well, gee, that's really interesting considering that uh, if I go over to um, BitInfo charts and I look at in the last 24 hours, I'm looking at $18.8 billion were sent in the days period for Bitcoin and only $1.2 billion was sent to Ethereum. So I don't know what in the hell these people at Daily Hodel have or what they're smoking or drinking or whatever, but I sure do want some because I'd like to make 2020 look at just as pretty as this shit show that Ethereum is the way that they're looking at it. No, their value transfers on Ethereum does not reach parity with Bitcoin unless your math includes not being able to carry the one or something like that. For God's sakes, get your shit together. Swiss crypto firms say the first automated AML compliant Bitcoin transfer has been completed. Now, this is one of them Coindesk articles. It's not really an article, but a bunch of bullet points, but we'll do it anyway. It's real short, short. Ian Allison is writing for Coindesk sometime this morning. Three Swiss crypto companies say they've successfully completed the very first automated Bitcoin transaction that meets AML standards. Zug-based crypto finance AG and 21 Analytics and Geneva's Mount Pellerin announced Friday on tw- Friday the 21st uh, that 21 CHF worth of Bitcoin, about $23, had been sent in a live demonstration of a new transaction that automatically complied with the AML requirements set by the Financial Action Task Force or FATF and Swiss Markets Regulator. That transaction took place late Thursday. FATF holds virtual asset service providers to the same standards as traditional bank transfers. Known as the travel rule, the FATF standard requires VASPs to exchange data that identifies both the originator and the beneficiary of any transaction over $1,000. Since the rule came into force last year, intermediaries have been forced to do this manually, but the live demonstration shows that transactions now can be sent with all of the AML details automatically added. There's a couple of more bullet points here, but that's what you need to know. These guys are using Bitcoin to make AML transactions, and that's fine. You know why? Because that's that's on their clear view of what's going on on the Bitcoin network. I am under no such obligation to do such a thing. Bitcoin enables people that want to ask the king and the queen for every single, you know, every single time to go to the bathroom or they can cross the street or pick up their fork and shove food in their mouth. If you want to do that, if you want to be that much of a spineless, sackless twit, then you are more than welcome to go ahead and do that on Bitcoin. You can do that. And then on the other side, where people that actually, you know, want to live their life and think that all this is a bunch of bullshit, we don't have to. And we're not going to. But what's important is that between the two camps, we're able to make transactions on the exact same chain. Different rules for different folks, 
but the rules of the chain itself, that's the critical point. I can use it. These guys can use it. The way that they're using it, make sure that both parties are identified. The way I use it, no parties are identified. If I do it correctly, if I'm like just being lackadaisical, eventually somebody may find out who's who. But if I do it correctly, there's not really very much possibility that even in, you know, years to come that those transactions would actually be known, right? I guess if I make a transaction and it's completely done the correct way as of today, and let's say it's for, uh, I don't know, like a hundred billion dollars, maybe 20 years from now, people would still be so interested in what occurred that they would continue to investigate that until they could figure out a way around and unwind what I have done given technology that might occur 20 years in the future. Hopefully, somebody will figure out a way to, I don't know, not allow that. I don't know. It's weird. But it really is important that the spineless and the spineful can both come together and use the exact same Bitcoin. It's to me, it's rather amazing, but that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Today's Daily Train Rick is brought to you by our good friend Roger Ver, who says, and this was yesterday, Strong Block changes the DeFi game. Stakers and hodlers earn strong, like comp. While rewarding blockchain performance, it's DeFi with a purpose. Well, you know what that is? That's Roger exiting uh, Bcash. I guarantee it. He's he's gone. I think I think the man is done. And DeFi has. It hasn't captured his imagination as much as he's like, oh, thank God, a life raft off of this freaking shipwreck. Because that's what BCH or God, Bcash, I can't say it. It's Bcash, okay? Has nothing to do with Bitcoin at all. It's Bcash. And that chain is just dying. And it's horrible to watch because all these people got duped by Roger and his crew to get into this thing, to sell their Bitcoin, their actual Bitcoin because of the promises of tomorrow. And now he's already shilling coins for DeFi. If that's not an exit strategy, I don't know what is. It doesn't matter. He's your smoldering pile for the day. All right, after that, you know, after one joke follows another one, this one, however, is from Dad Says Jokes. What do you call a bearded vase maker? A Harry Potter. Well, I didn't shoot and score. That was Dad. Dad Says Jokes. That's at Dad Says Jokes, everybody. If you want to go get a bucket full of cringe, just walk your happy ass on over to Dad Says Jokes on Twitter. And, well, enjoy. Uh, it looks that like by the time that you hear these next words that you're shit out of luck, yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, uh, Citadel 21 is completely out of their single magazine. So that, let's see, they had 600 left when I began the show. It is now exactly 12 noon, Central Daylight Time, uh, three hours. No, I'm sorry, five. Yeah, five hours. Not bad. A thousand magazines gone. There's there's niches in this space to fill, people. There are niches to fill. At 21 bucks, it's 21 grand that they cleared in gross in five hours. And I have and their subscriptions are kind of expensive. You know, I don't know if I'll get one. I, I would love it if I just had like, you know, ass low oodles of cash to be able to to literally shower on all these people who are doing this these great pieces of work. I would love to do it, but I can't. I, I got kids, bro. I, you know, they, they eat 
before that freaking space cat eats over there, hold a nod over there at Citadel 21. That's just a rule that I have. So if space cat is a little pissed off about it, well, you can go caterwaul outside, right? All right. So there are niches, there are spaces, there's all manner of stuff to be done. There's all manner of products to be produced. And with BTC pay server and LN strike, there is not a fucking thing in our way to building a complete economy. There's nothing, nothing stands in our way. And even if the United States says, you know what, we're making it all illegal. Good luck. I'd like to congratulate drugs for winning the war on drugs. Now I didn't say that I got that off Twitter, but, and I I can't remember who, or I'd give him credit, but that saying is always going to stick with me. Congratulations, drugs. You kicked the living snot out of the United States government and you're not even intelligent. Seriously, drugs are like an inanimate object and it killed the all, all manner of trust that anybody had in the United States government to fight the drug war. Why? Like Bitcoin, it's not the thing. It's the network effect. If you want to go around to whatever, however many countries are in the world, all 170 of them, and, and pry out a wallet-sized full node that has BTC pay server running on it, well, you know, be my guest. Be my freaking guest because you're not going to do it. And we all know you're not going to be able to do it. You'll probably be able to arrest a couple of people, but all the smart money's running their shit over Tor. God, you know, I am. I'm not, I'm not a complete idiot. I mean, I, I don't know a whole bunch, but I, I know enough about that. And even if they come in my house, what, I mean, honestly, I could set this thing up to where it's in the attic of my neighbor's house and has a Wi-Fi connection to it. If I really wanted to do it, if I really worked it out, I could literally have it next door. I'm not going to do that because I like looking at my node, but you know, good luck United States. So congratulations, Bitcoin for winning the war on Bitcoin. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.